Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. I begin in the name of the Almighty God, the Compassionate, the Merciful, the one who has created everything in utmost perfection. May the peace and blessings of the Almighty God be upon His great prophets, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon them all. Respected dignitaries, elected officials, religious leaders, community leaders, my dear brothers and sisters, I salute you with the greeting of Islam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The Almighty God states in the Holy Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Idfa' billati hiya ahsan. فَإِذَا الَّذِي بَيْنَكَ وَبَيْنَهُ عَدَاوَةٌ كَأَنَّهُ وَلِيٌّ حَمِيمٌ Repel bad with good. You will find that the one whom you have enmity with shall be transformed into a loving, wonderful friend. Let me share with you a story. I once read that a woman writes this on the internet. She says, once I was at the airport, and my flight was delayed. So she goes to the bookstore to fetch for a good book to read until they put her on another flight. And she grabs a bag of cookies. She buys these two. She goes to the gate. She sits in a seat. And she takes out that book and she starts reading it. Turns out to be a very interesting read. She's so consumed into the book as she's now grabbing for those cookies, the cookies between her and the next person sitting next to her, she grabs a cookie as she's reading the book and she realizes this man sitting next to her is so rude, he puts his hand into that cookie bag and he starts eating with her. She's like, what a rude man. But she's like, okay, I don't want to make a scene here. Fine, let him eat it. She realizes, no, every time she grabs a cookie, he puts his hand and he grabs another cookie. What a thief stealing my cookies. Shame on him. Then interestingly, they reach till the final cookie. She's like, what is he going to do now? She sees him with all audacity. And a nervous smile, he puts his hand, he breaks it into two. He takes one for himself and he gives it to her. <laughs> She's like, I can't believe this. This is unbelievable. At that point, they call her for her flight. So she gets up, she rushes, she packs her belongings, goes into the plane. As she gets herself situated in the plane, she's like, let me finish that book. She opens her purse. She takes out the book and she sees a new bag of cookies in her purse. She thinks to herself, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this is my bag of cookies, what was the other bag of cookies? It belonged to that poor guy whom she judged like that. Now it was too late for her to go and apologize. The flight was about to take off. Now my dear friends, incidents like these happen every day in our lives. Sometimes I think I'm so right and the others are wrong. I misjudge them. This happens every day in our lives. 
Now, this is at the individual level. When you look at the social and global level and you see how the media shapes our opinions and the prejudices that we acquire from the media, how we view other communities, other peoples, other minorities, it tells you a lot about the misunderstandings that are going on. You know, every single day from morning to night, we are bombarded with 10,000 messages. Just imagine. Now I know most of them are probably marketing messages, but just imagine the size of those ideological messages, the political messages that are being aimed at us. Now this is not a contemporary problem. This problem existed 14 centuries ago in 7th century Arabia. One day, the Prophet Muhammad was walking in the streets of Mecca. He sees an old woman, a very old woman. She had gone out to buy some groceries. She had put the groceries in a basket. It was a very heavy basket. With difficulty she was carrying it. There was no one, no one to help her. No one even cared. In that society in Arabia, women were viewed as second-class citizens. No one cared to help her. He stops. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stops. He tells her, Mother, can I help you? She looks at him with compassion. She says, yes, please do help me. This is too heavy for me. I can't carry it. Graciously, he carries the basket for her. And he asks her, tell me, where is your home? Show me to your house. He walks with her till they reach her house. He puts the basket. Now he's about to leave when she tells him, Son, I'd like to thank you. I love what you did. You helped me. I would like to thank you and I would like to give you a gift. And I figured the best gift I can give you is a good word of advice. What kind of advice does she want to give him? He told her, I'm listening, give me the advice, I'd like to hear it. She told him, my dear son, I want to warn you, there's this guy called Muhammad in Mecca, he's preaching a new religion. And I've heard that he's corrupt, beware of him. He lowers his head, doesn't say a word. Then as she's about to leave, she tells him, I didn't get your name. My son, tell me who you are, what's your name? He looks at her with compassion and he says, Mother, I am Muhammad. See what the media had done even in 7th century Arabia. The media of the pagans against the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. My dear friends, in this month of Ramadan, yes, we're fasting, but we also reflect on the contributions that the Prophet Muhammad gave to humanity his services for humanity. He allowed us to see the human soul in us, regardless of our religion, regardless of our gender. You know, a couple of months ago, we all celebrated International Women's Day. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in Mecca, had a loving wife by the name of Khadija, peace be upon her. Today in the Islamic calendar, today, we remember Khadija because that marks the anniversary of her death when she died. She died in Mecca when the Prophet was about 50 years old. 
She was his first wife. They lived happily 25 years with each other. And he was monogamously married to her. He remarried later when he moved to Medina. When in Mecca, he was only married to Khadija. You know what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says about his wife? In that society, how he empowered women just through this statement. In one statement, the Prophet Muhammad says, Islam owes its success to the sacrifices and efforts of Khadija. Can you imagine him in that 7th century Arabia attributing the success of a religion to a woman? That was absolutely unheard of. Absolutely shocking to his community. This great religion of God that you're delivering to us, you're saying it became successful because of your wife Khadija? But that was the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And yes, Khadija sacrificed. She was the wealthiest businesswoman in Arabia. And he chose her as his wife. A few years ago, I was on the plane going from here, Halifax, at the end of the month of Ramadan after Eid. I was going to Toronto, connecting there. When this young lady, young lady in the airplane, she asked me. Well, she saw my attire. She asked me about Islam. And then she told me, tell me about the position of women in Islam. I'll be honest, I've heard a lot of things about how Islam treats women in the media. And I've heard that the Quran bans women from driving. Tell me a little bit more about that. I told her, do you really believe that the Quran bans women from driving? It's like, it's possible, I've heard that. I told her, ma'am, when was the Quran revealed? Do you know which century? She said, I don't know, but it's a long time ago. I said, yes, a very, very long time ago, way before cars and automobiles. The Quran was revealed in 7th century Arabia. We're talking about 1,400 years ago. Do you really think there's a verse in the Quran that bans women from driving? She thought for a moment, she's like, I've never thought of that. But see, see what the media does. She said, I have this image that Islam locks up a woman. She has no freedom. She's always dependent. I told her, look at the life of the Prophet Muhammad. He chose the wealthiest businesswoman in Arabia, independent, outgoing, successful. He chose her as his wife. And guess what? He didn't even propose. She proposed to him. Over 1.6 billion Muslims around the world observe this month. It's a very special time of year for us. Not just because we're fasting and we're anxiously waiting for the iftar after 17 hours of fasting. Yes, we do fast by avoiding eating and drinking for about 17 hours here in the summer. But the fast is more than that. When we observe the fast in Ramadan, it reprograms us. To discipline yourself, sometimes you have to reprogram yourself. You need to put yourself on a timeout. And that's what we do. To change our habits, to develop good and positive habits. And there are three very important benefits that Ramadan provides for us. I'll briefly share these benefits with you. First of all, Ramadan is the month of giving, the month of generosity. If you're a doctor, use your profession to help. If you're an engineer, use that to help. If you're a writer, use that to help. It's not just about financial contributions. 
In any way you can contribute, Ramadan encourages you to contribute. Now we are living in a society where depression is on the rise. We have many psychological problems. Over 20% of the people today suffer from chronic depression. The best way to protect ourselves from depression, my dear friends, is by giving. Giving gives you happiness. When you give, you receive more happiness than if you were to receive from other people. And Ramadan truly teaches us the spirit of happiness by giving. The second benefit we derive from the month of Ramadan is that as you all know, my dear friends, today loneliness is also on the rise. You know, today loneliness is being called the silent killer. No, don't worry, I'm not crying. I'm just wearing contact lens. And sometimes that happens. <laughs> loneliness is on the rise. It's called the silent killer. Do you know that today loneliness in our societies is claiming more lives than obesity, lack of exercise, and smoking combined? Loneliness increases premature death by 60%. Ramadan is a time for us to gather, to come as one community. You know, every night here, we come from 8 p.m. till 1 a.m. Last night, we were here till 3 a.m. I know, and a lot of us, you know, not me, this year, but last year I did. A lot of us, we have to go to work at 6, 7. We're not getting enough sleep, but the energy we're getting from this month it's protecting us mentally, spiritually, psychologically. And that's wonderful. That's the spirit of the month of Ramadan. The third benefit, my dear friends, is that Ramadan teaches us to see the humanity in each and every person living in our society and around the world. Our beloved mayor, Mr. Savage, he talked about the fire that happened last Saturday. In, in the north end of Dartmouth. Well, you know, many of those who were in the building, they were not aware that there was a fire. Some people came from the street informing them that there is a fire. And that in itself saved so many lives. Now, what do you think those people were doing at 3.30 a.m. in the streets? Who goes out in the street at 3.30 a.m.? It was the month of Ramadan that pulled them to the streets at 3.30 a.m. Because, you know, as a Muslim, between 3 and 3.30, that's your last chance at getting the last bite before the fast starts. And we have the early morning prayer. Those Muslims were going to Dartmouth Mosque to offer the morning prayer. And they saw the fire. They rushed and they informed many of them to get out. May the Almighty God bless you all. Thank you for participating this evening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.